This is God's holy and infallible word at Titus 2. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything to try to please them and not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. That's God's word for us this morning. I really don't have any idea how many architects or engineers we have out here this morning, but we all pretty much know what a blueprint is. And this morning, I I want us to imagine that we're unfolding a blueprint. You know, that there's all these, you get this big, big blueprint. It's not for a skyscraper. It's not a blueprint for an office building. It's not a blueprint for a house. But it's a blueprint for something much greater, a blueprint for something much more beautiful. It's a blueprint for the church and what the Bible sometimes calls God's household, God's family, that that word for the church that we're using in the sermon series. Or maybe boys and girls, or maybe even some of you who are older than that, that like Legos, Legos are are pretty cool, think of Lego building instructions. I think Star Wars and Minecraft might be some of the top sellers in Legos these days. Um, Whether, whatever you buy, you can build that really cool thing on the box when you follow the building instructions. And, and that's what we want to do for building the church. We want to follow God's instructions. And, and boys and girls and everybody, if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. God's Word is our blueprint. Our building instructions are here for each one of our lives and for the church too. And, and if we ignore that, if we follow another blueprint, we're going to have problems. We ignore 
where our building instructions are to our peril. Our life will go off the rails if we ignore the Scriptures. A church will go off the rails if we ignore, if we ignore God's blueprint. Maybe, humanly speaking, a church might not look like it's going off the rails, but in God's sight, a church will go off the rails if we are not following God's instruction. And, and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what outward appearances are. It doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what God thinks. We read in Psalm 48 about the church, and we're going to sing this after the message, walk about Zion. This is about the church. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. And that's, that's, what, that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk around God's special building project, the church this morning. We're going to consider it, view it, study it, because we want to be building according to God's plan. We see, as we look at these aspects of the blueprint in chapter 2, first in this chapter, that sound teaching is essential to the church's foundation, all right? Sound teaching is essential to the church's foundation. Paul begins, verse 1, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. And he ends in verse 15, these are the things you can teach. So the beginning and the end, sound teaching, it's at the very foundation of the church. When Jesus gave the great commission in Matthew 28, we focused on that in mission emphasis weeks. We carried that through to last week. We saw that the heart of the Great Commission is the command. comes across in English like there are four commands. The main command is make disciples. And in talking about how you make disciples, he said teaching was one of the essential pieces of that mission. And we see that affirmed again and again in the letters of the New Testament to different churches. And we see it again in these letters to pastors Timothy and Titus, the importance of teaching. Paul had said, and we read this a number of weeks ago, about the leaders of the church in Titus 1. This is what you got to do, leaders, and as elders here, hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught. That message... Paul was talking about. It's been recorded in the inspired word of God, the Bible. And so to say sound teaching is essential to the church's foundation is to say that the Bible is our foundation. That's what the church has received and passes down, and that's what we stand on. And, and so the church reads and studies and knows God's word as individual church members, as families in smaller groups, and in a very special way, the church is taught all together through, through preaching, as Paul refers to in chapter 1, verse 3, and other places in the New Testament. Right teaching that we stand on involves protection from false teaching. And Paul goes into that in some detail in Titus 1, 10 through 16, just before our verses. And there's that emphasis on protection from false teaching because there are always those who want to chip away at the foundations 
of the church. There are always those who want to throw mud on God's blueprint. And so we take care to teach God's word well and clearly enough to warn against false teachings as well as teaching positively God's word. And it's not just false teachings out in the world, but also ones that creep into the church. In fact, mostly when Paul talks about false teachers in, in, in this letter, but all his other letters, he's talking about, of all things, people, false teaching in the church. In the church is where most of the warnings come from. And that can happen. I saw this past week that Princeton Seminary, I don't know if this is a headline everyone saw or just pastors, but Princeton Seminary uh, was planning on awarding Pastor Tim Keller a special award. Uh, They've been doing this award called the Abraham Kuyper Prize for Excellence in Reformed Theology and Public Life. Tim Keller, he's a well-known Reformed author and pastor at a church, Redeemer Church in Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. And I, I have a great deal of respect for him. He's got wonderful books. We're talking a bit about prayer. He's got a, a couple years ago a wonderful book on prayer that I'd recommend. He teaches God's Word very much like we try to do, with a great respect for the Bible as God's infallible Word of truth. And he seeks to do that in a very grace-filled and relevant way. His church, Redeemer, it's part of a denomination called the Presbyterian Church in America. Princeton Seminary is associated with the Presbyterian Church USA. You see Presbyterian in both headings of that denomination. Uh, They have similar roots, but those denominations are in different places now. Not talking about individual churches, but the overall teaching of the denominations. Uh, the seminary's community protested vehemently this award of a prize to Pastor Tim Keller because, like his church and denomination, Keller is not in favor of the ordination of LGBTQ people. So they made a big fuss about it. You can't give this guy. So you know, we could say this is an example of false teaching going on right in the church. The denomination connected to Princeton has strayed from the historic view of the church on marriage and gender issues. And as one article I read about this estimates, that denomination also, by the way, differs from the view of probably 90% of Christians around the world who continue to have the historic and, and what I believe is the biblical view of marriage. And of course, that's the sort of topic that hits the headlines today, but what about the church's teaching on other matters, like a weekly day of rest? What about the types of entertainment we find acceptable? What about how we're spending our money and our priorities there in terms of the church and the kingdom compared to our own wants and desires? So... We have to ask these questions in every day, every, every year, every age. Is our foundation eroding? Are we part of throwing mud on the blueprint? I mention all these lifestyle matters because when Paul talks about teaching, he doesn't mean only doctrine. 
doctrine, what we think is critical. That's included in teaching. But when Paul goes on in this chapter, you notice that, right? It's all about the way we live. Teach the older men, verse 2, what? The catechism? To memorize a chapter in Romans? To be able to explain the doctrine of Christ's atonement? Not bad things to do, older men and everybody. In fact, very good things. But here he says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, and so on. And so the foundation of sound teaching that Paul gives us includes two pillars. There's doctrine and there's life. When we hear the word teaching, we tend to think of it as a lecture in a classroom. But in God's blueprint, teaching involves life. And that's why we talk about the importance of people experiencing God's Word in our church's mission statement. It's not only knowing and learning God's Word, it's also experiencing it because the Word changes our hearts and lives. It's not just for staying in our heads, but into our hearts and outward. Second this morning, God's blueprint in Titus 2 shows us that the church is constructed in community. What is this chapter about, especially? It's about people. It's about people. There's an old joke, and I think uh, it's especially a joke in churches where there are a lot of ornery people, but we can all relate to it to some extent. Where, where someone says the church would be great if it wasn't for the people. And, and why do we say that and why can we laugh about those? Because we know, because we know ourselves, people aren't perfect. People bug us. People can be touchy. People have problems. We get in disagreements with people. If only I could just come into the sanctuary and worship God and hear his word and sort of put blinders up and ignore all the people and their issues and problems. But the reality is the church is people. And this chapter reminds us of that. We're talking about a blueprint. Uh, We're using the language of building the church. But, of course, the church is not a physical building in the end, right? You know that. We talk about going to church. We enter a church building, but the church isn't a physical structure at its heart. The church is people. This building isn't the church. It's a place for the church, For you and for you and for you and you and you and me, for the church to worship in together. And what we see is that the church is especially about people living together, people living in community, relating to one another, encouraging each other, teaching each other. The church is constructed, it's built up in a community. God didn't design us to be isolated. We walk the Christian walk together. Uh, We see this in these different groups described in our verses. Uh, People are relating to one another. And we have to embrace this as God's people. You might be a little shy. You might not be as much a people person as the, uh, the, the guy sitting near you who's maybe a salesman in his company. Sometimes you want to hang out at home. But my experience is that I've never regretted a decision to be with the people of God. Whether I think about opening up our home for a small group meeting or 
or myself going to a Bible study. I've never regretted a decision to put myself in community with the people of God. And you know what? I bet you've experienced the same thing. Whether it's going to worship, attending a church luncheon, going to a small group, going to youth group, a Bible study, taking advantage of a time to serve. There there are always reasons not to get out of the house. There are always reasons to prioritize other things. But we need the community of believers. Don't miss the opportunities you have. You will always be blessed. You will always be blessed. The devil knows that we are especially built up in community. And so there will be excuses that he will plant in your mind. He'll make as many roadblocks as possible for you to prevent you from getting to Sunday worship services. As an example, a big example. We have to be aware of his attacks and defend ourselves. Satan wants to keep you isolated because wonderful things happen. Our faith is built up in community in very special ways. And so we've got to persevere with God's design. Put ourselves in community with God's people. In the beginning of this letter, Paul addresses the pastor and then the elders, but he doesn't stop with the leadership. Every single person is important in the building of the church. People of all abilities and all talents, each one of you, whether you feel you have something important to bring to the church or not, you do have something important. The unique way that God has created you in His image, He highlights older men first. And I don't think that's a coincidence. The older men are called to lead the way in the church. I think he emphasizes the older men first because as people get older, you know, they, what sometimes happens is, you know, there can be what we call burnout. We talk about a midlife crisis. Many men in our society and sometimes even in the church do not age gracefully. Our human nature and the culture around us, it all pulls us towards the opposite of what Paul is calling the older men to do. We see older men who are not temperate, who are, in other words, not agreeable. We see in our world older men who are not worthy of respect, who are not self-controlled, who do not keep their words and thoughts and actions in check, who are not present, who choose to isolate themselves. And so Paul must emphasize the importance of these things. We're called to resist the world, resist our own, the, 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 the devil's pull yet in our hearts toward a lack of godliness. Instead of receding into the background or actually becoming a problem in the church, the older men are called to lead the way in faith, in love, and in endurance, as Paul puts it. The older women are highlighted next in verse 3 and following. The likewise could mean that they're called to the same things the older men are. We're not totally sure. But we see for sure that they're called to teach others. 
train others, in particular, the younger women. And then there's an emphasis for the younger women, uh, a focus on their husband and the home. And then in our modern society, we bristle very quickly at this language. What? Is Paul saying that women have to stay barefoot and pregnant and not leave the house? But I don't think Paul is speaking against women working outside the home. I don't think he's addressing that here, but I do think he is talking about the primary responsibilities of those he's called to be a wife or a mother. I think of the older women and the younger women in these verses, and there's so much that we could talk about here, but what stands out is this wonderful ministry that I know many folks are a part of that we have. It's called Mom to Mom. And it's very deliberately modeled like a Titus 2 type model. Um, It's amazed at what I see there on Thursday mornings. It's biblical. It's exactly the type of mentoring and living in community and teaching uh, that Paul's talking about here as as a blueprint for the church. And this, of course, happens in our Cadets Boys Club, our Gems Girls Club, and in all sorts of ways naturally, too. That's the the Titus 2 pattern. The young men are mentioned in verse 6 as well. First thing for the young men, and maybe this wouldn't be a surprise, first thing, young men, be self-controlled. Maybe this is obviously something that young men need to hear. Maybe young men can obviously tend to be rash, quick-tempered. I know I've spoken to a lot of uh, middle-aged to older men who have described how by God's grace... Uh, They maybe once were more that way, but God has softened them over the years. They've become more temperate and self-controlled with age by God's grace. And I think there are a lot of examples of that right in our own church. But you notice, and I think this is very interesting, self-control is mentioned for every single group. Younger men, younger women, Older men, older men, and the older women, the word self-control isn't there, but when they're called to be reverent, not gossips, not drinking much wine, well, that's about self-control too. And then near the end in the summary in verse 12, self-control is mentioned again. And when something's repeated so much in a small number of verses, it means we've got to pay attention. Self-control is key for everybody in constructing the household of faith. It must be that for everybody across the board, this is something that can be challenging for us in our lives. In the world around us, we see people lacking self-control. In our own hearts, we tend towards getting out of control, whether it's with drinking or impatience or rash responses to things or talking all the time when we should be listening. Something about self-control that we got to really take to heart. You know, Paul addresses not just different age groups, but people of all kinds. In verse 11, he talks about the grace of God that brings salvation to all men. The the gospel message goes out to all sorts of people. No one is included, no matter what their station or situation. The slaves and masters verses get at this too. We haven't touched on it, but we're going to have to pick that up next week 
And I just want to conclude with, with the final thought on grace, which is what Paul ends the chapter with when he starts that final section in verse 11. And thankfully, praise God, after all this instruction, all this way to live, thankfully, he ends, closes things off with God's grace. Because we need to hear that. And Paul knew how much he needed that. Paul knew how much he needed that the church need to hear that. Because with all this talk of how we're to live, older men, older women, younger men, younger women, we all know that we've fallen short. And that grieves us, each one of us who belongs and loves Jesus. That grieves us as believers. Thankfully, the chapter ends with God's grace in the Lord. God's grace saves us from our shortcomings and sin. And God's grace sets us on God's path again. This third and final idea in the text, it's too much, it's too rich for us to complete today. Uh, We're going to conclude today. We're going to continue next Sunday morning picking up on some things we didn't get to, like the slaves and masters section, what that's all about. And we're going to explore in depth the beauty of God's grace as it's given us in these final verses and what that means for each of our lives, what that means in the blueprint and the design for the church, okay? Amen.